Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial... I'm Josh Avery, and you're listening to FMC Radio. To borrow a phrase from the late Rod Serling in his show The Twilight Zone from the 1960s, today's episode on FMC Radio is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. You see, a friend of mine once told me that I should see myself as a character in a larger story that God is writing through my life, and that I could make any decision in my life by simply considering if it would make a good story later. Ever since then, I've been searching for hope in the dark places, looking for meaning in the midst of hardship, and seeking out good stories of lives that are lived meaningfully. So today, the next installment of this ongoing project called Do It For The Story. I'm recording on the front steps of the Guanabacoa Methodist Church near Havana, Cuba. These steps move you directly into the street, where night and day alike you'll find members of the community hustling to the market or driving their 1950s Chevys back home, narrowly avoiding the stray dogs that roam the street as they zoom by. If you have the opportunity to put on headphones, do it now. Close your eyes and listen to the background noise that you'll hear on these streets, hopefully in stereo sound if I've done my job right. I need to explain to you how much of an honor it is to share this place with you, even though it's just via audio. For me, this church, this place, here in Guanabacoa, is sacred. It was right here at this church, on these steps, that my life was changed forever. I was able to share some of that story in episode 41 alongside Emily Smith. But being here in person brings back all the memories and all the emotions and all the community that I first experienced in 2010 rushing back once again. It's that very community that I'm compelled to share with you today. Cuba is a country that is limited in many ways, from resources to money to freedom. Limitation is almost assumed here, a way of life that penetrates everything. But when it comes to the Methodist Church in this country, Guanabacoa is a powerful example of what is possible with Christian community. They're an inspiration to the rest of us in America, pointing us toward the kind of closeness and family that could be possible if we just spent less time on our phones and more time investing in other members of the church. In Cuba, the Wi-Fi is like the dial-up version of dial-up, so there's no binging on Netflix episodes in your house for hours on end. You might spend a half hour waiting for an email to send only to find that it hasn't been delivered. This leads to a dramatic decrease of the electronic screens we've become so accustomed to, and an increase in the face-to-face interactions that actually matter. Like I said, it's the kind of community that not only transforms the Church of Cuba, but inspires those in America. Ruth Smith listened to episode 41, that one from January where I interviewed Emily. I think she listened to that episode simply because Emily is her daughter, But as she listened, she found herself inspired to do much more. As the time neared for her first mission trip to Cuba, she started to think about the needs of the Cuban churches and how her community in the Pittsburgh area could help. Cubans love baseball, but most of the time they don't have the equipment necessary to play the game. 
I listened to Josh's recording and the questions that he asked, and it really got me thinking. So when she announced that we were doing the campaign for the baseball equipment, um, I started thinking about that and the word community. So I started reaching out to some close friends from high school and some family members and uh, texting them and asking them to share the word with others and within minutes one of my friends from a local church in my hometown uh, first baptist church of rochester she posted and made up a post for her um, church family facebook page and that really got me excited and again there's that word community before long the dream of bringing communities together to collect baseball gloves bats and balls spread much further than the local churches and families and I feel we gave our community a sense of shared identity, and that was the love of children. It broke all the barriers. It didn't matter what church you're from, or what state you're from, or what county you were from, or township. Um, Colossians 3.14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And that's when I started thinking and named our campaign how far will God's love travel to the children of Cuba? And I kind of made that our logo. We have gloves from North Dakota, Florida, um, baseballs from Colorado, uh, Virginia, and then all our local communities as well. So I felt this was, I'm just very excited about this campaign. After we stopped recording, Ruth and I talked about that amazing concept of the factor of one. It's the idea that Mike Leonard introduced us to in episode 76. The truth that one person added or subtracted from any situation changes the end result in ways impossible to calculate. Ruth was impacting the lives of Cuban children with her idea to bring them baseball equipment. And she linked that idea to the FMC radio episode where her daughter and I talked about community. But how far back could we really trace the impact? Ruth wouldn't have gathered countless supplies if it weren't for our episode, but our episode wouldn't have happened if her daughter Emily hadn't spent a year living in Cuba. In turn, Emily would have never lived in Cuba if her pastor hadn't brought a missions team to the country when she was a teenager. And the connections go on and on, endlessly linking factors of one across generations. What if one of those people had been subtracted from the equation? Every single connection, every individual choice throughout all of those years had led to this moment on this trip to deliver this specific baseball equipment to this specific area. For one man living in Cuba's Isle of Youth, the gift of a simple catcher's mitts, bats, and array of balls led to the most significant moment of his life. After the American team traveled to a local field to play a game of baseball with the Cuban church, this man, who worked for the field, joined in. He was drawn in by the donated items, things he wouldn't normally see in the country. But as Pastor Colleen Carney discovered later, there were two members of our team who talked to him while he was at the baseball field, and he talked about how when he was in prison, there was a scripture that really helped him through that time. And then the pastor from that town invited him to come to services that evening um, to come to church. And when I got to church that evening, I met him, and I was preaching about having victory in our lives, and I, was have, I asked for two volunteers to help act out the story of David and Goliath. 
and he played Goliath for me and was a really good sport and it was his very first time at church and he participated in the service and then he went back to his seat and I preached a sermon on overcoming obstacles and having victory in our lives and at the end of the service he came up front to um, accept Jesus as his savior for the very first time. A man puts his trust in Christ for the first time, and we can trace it back to Ruth and her community gathering the baseball supplies. A life-changing decision sparked by a game in a park with strangers. Decisions like that one are the difference between a life well-lived and a life of self-indulgence. The separation between living a great story with your life and simply surviving, living a life of complacency. For Americans like 15-year-old Max Carney, the decision can involve a struggle. So I made the decision to come to Cuba before my soccer season even began. And then at one of the meetings for my team, we found out that if we made my teammate playoffs and I'd be missing it. So that kind of sucked hearing that, that I would be missing playoffs because I've never been to the playoffs and that would be like a whole new experience. Max's close friend, 17-year-old Eric Perkins, had a similar but even greater struggle to deal with when he was asked to join the Cuba missions team. So uh, this was my senior year. And uh, when I heard about this trip in June, and I literally had two days to decide. Um, it was my sen this, uh, this was going to be my senior year of soccer. Uh, we always normally make a pretty good run for the playoffs. Last year we won our district, and this year we were looking to do the same. And it was a very tough choice. I remember sitting there when I heard about this opportunity and thinking, this is definitely not an opportunity I want to miss. But it's my senior year. It's my last go. Uh, pr probably going to be the last year I ever play the game. And uh, so it was a very, very hard choice. As Eric found himself leaving behind the team to fulfill his call to Cuba, his presence and purpose in Cuba became inherently clear. We were explaining each part of the bracelet and its significance to Christianity and telling the story of the gospel. And every night we had an opportunity, uh, we presented an opportunity for kids to, for first time commitments to Christ, accepting Christ into their heart. And, um, at the church we were at that night, uh, we went through the bracelets, We then we presented that opportunity. Two kids came up and said they wanted to give their life to Christ for the first time. But I realized that the group was being a little bit rowdy and not paying too much attention. So I stepped up and, and said, this is the most serious, uh, decision of your life. Um, it's something that, it's a decision we all have to make, and there's no decision more important than this one. And I s told them how I had accepted Christ into my life, and it forever changed my life. And it really captured their attention. And once I said that, five more kids came up. And then that was followed by five more kids. And then the kids just kept coming up and 
at the end we had almost 25 kids that night alone give their life to Christ. The playoff game was huge to a high school senior, but placed on the scale opposite the salvation of 25 children in a crowded Cuban church, there was no comparison. Without his impression that he should encourage the children in taking the moment seriously, would Les have responded? It's another enormous example of the factor of one, his presence on the trip critically important. This was an important lesson that not only Eric, but Max had learned as well. 25 kids came to the Lord for the first time, and I would have missed that, which would have been even worse than missing one game, because my team didn't even win that game, so we didn't go farther. A fleeting victory on a soccer field, or an eternal victory in the kingdom of God. Looking back, it really wasn't much of a choice, was it? The problem for many of us is that we only get to see that story after it's already played out, after the decision has been made. Some of us have chosen the playoffs over the Cuba trip because, let's face it, the playoffs are the only thing we're certain of. Before the story plays itself out, the playoffs are all we have. Of course, I'm not just talking about high school soccer playoffs. We've all made critical decisions, only to wonder later if we've settled for the lesser story in the end. Most, if not all, of our stories are interconnected. And the most meaningful stories are lived when we, like Eric and Max, give up something of ourselves for the betterment of another. It's this willingness to sacrifice individual comfort for the strengthening of the church and each other that Pastor Enrique has witnessed in Cuba. Enrique is certified as a doctor in the country, but he recently decided to give up the day-to-day -day of practicing medicine to pursue the call of pastoring a church. The church in Cuba is growing in, in, in these times. I think that is because the people has realized that uh, there is no uh, uh, answer in what the government is doing with the people. So the only way that the people has is to find answers in Christ. Saying that the Church of Cuba is growing is a massive understatement. In Cuba, churches are spreading like wildfire. I think 15 or 20 years ago, the, the churches were empty by that time, but now the churches are so full of the people. Even the pastor have to put two or three or four services during the Sunday's uh, service because there are many people who are coming for uh, to, okay, to worship our Lord. At Enrique's church, 100 people began gathering in an alleyway before the building was even built. Three months ago, a church building was established, but services already fill the benches and spill into the streets on Sunday mornings. This is the opposite of what most denominations and local churches are experiencing in America, as leaders have charted decreases in attendance and membership. When asked about his thoughts on why the Cuban church continues to spread, Pastor Enrique explained, People are open their houses for small groups every week and also they are planting uh, home churches far in the rural areas where our pastors are going or the leaders that we put on, uh, on this house. They are open their houses and you will see three or two times a, a week people gathering in the rural areas, praising the, the Lord. I think it's good. good, good. God is it's good with the Cubans. <laughs> Meeting in homes, gathering around a dinner table, sharing life, scripture, and food. So we're back to fellowship, community, and this undeniable sense that the church was meant to be so much more than Sunday morning gatherings. 
In Cuba, churches are learning that smaller is actually better. When a church reaches a certain size, they are required and expected to multiply, starting in homes and moving to physical buildings when the size becomes larger. They're learning that these small groups are leading to rapid kingdom expansion because a new home of believers pops up almost every week. So small leads to big, and fellowship leads to discipleship. Fellowship isn't a one-time thing or a service that you can visit, and small groups aren't a glorified Bible study once a month. Two or three times a week, these Cuban believers meet together in their homes to share concerns, praises, scripture, and life. It's a way of life, a supernatural love that defines true community. In the American church, we've often made great friends and we enjoy seeing the familiar faces during Sunday worship, but is our love supernatural? In his new book, Letters to the Church, Francis Chan writes about the tension he felt in the church that he built in California. He says, I'm sure you can think of churches known for excitement or powerful preaching or worship or production value, but can you name a church known for supernatural love? He says, Cornerstone was a very loving church as far as American churches go. We really enjoyed being with one another, had some good small groups, and we served the poor in our area and around the world. We were a very nice and kind church. We definitely experienced some spirit-inspired acts of love, but with some notable exceptions, we just weren't experiencing what we saw in the Bible. Our love felt too similar to the love that we received from coworkers and neighbors. Sometimes we are too quick to label our church experience as Christian love. Jesus made it clear that even sinners know how to love one another in Luke 6, 32 through 34. Haven't you ever worked in a restaurant joined a gym, or bonded with other parents at your kids' sporting events? Is the love you experience in the church really all that different? It's supposed to be. It's the kind of supernatural love that Francis Chan talks about that is evident amongst the Cuban churches. It's something that, for a world traveler like my wife, Carissa, isn't seen in most countries. This trip, even though it was a one-week trip, we have connected with these people as Christians through faith in a way that I never have before. I've been on other mission trips. Actually, I've been to probably like seven countries on short-term mission trips. And this was a 10-day trip, so it wasn't much longer than a week. And yet, the Holy Spirit was just so real through the love of these people and the love that we have as well because our team has been very unified this week. When we stopped recording, Carissa lamented the fact that she didn't mention the extreme lengths that the Christian Cubans would go to give to those in need, even at their own expense. I know where she's coming from when she feels like she says she hadn't said enough. 100 separate podcasts would still leave something out when it comes to this subject. But she's right. In a culture where the average citizen makes anywhere between 12 to $18 a month, any giving is an expense that literally cannot be spared. Yet they find a way. This community, supernatural love, and closeness within the churches is something Tai Lin Pina has seen firsthand. I think it's because of the Lord. The Lord works in us, in our heart. Um, I think we, we double love people because of that. Uh, what the Lord 
has been doing with us and our concern for the people, not, not only in, in the church, on the streets, in the community, out. Um, and we, we like to share the love of Jesus with the, with the people. We, we practice that. We, we practice that. Not only by words, only by, also by actions. During their 10 days in Cuba, the American missions team have attempted to learn and speak Spanish. In turn, many of the Cubans around them have caught on to English words and phrases. Some people were better than others at learning a foreign language, but it seemed like everyone tried to some extent. With all the focus on languages and love, I was reminded of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. While the passage is popularly read at weddings, it's important to remember, in the words of Bishop David Roller, that Paul was not writing to a couple, but to a church at war with itself. With that in mind, listen to the words of 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What if we could all speak in one unified language? I'm not talking about English or Spanish or German or any other dialect found around the world. I'm talking about the language of love. Paul points out that we could speak in all sorts of languages, even the language of angels, and that it would be meaningless without love. San Diego band Switchfoot sings about this idea in their recently released song, Native Tongue. I want the world to sing in her native tongue To sing it like when we were young Back before the pendulum had swung to the shadows I want the world to sing in her native tongue Maybe we could learn to sing What if we could speak in our native tongue of supernatural love, building true community within our churches and neighborhoods, from our homes, workplaces, and streets? On the mission team's final day in Cuba, a familiar song was sung amongst the Cuban believers. sounded oddly familiar because it was. The Spanish version of a song sung by youth across the Ohio and Pittsburgh conferences at Winter Weekend 2018.
separated by miles, cultures, and languages, yet both singing the same song with unified passion and vigor. What if, through God's supernatural love and power that he gives to the universal church, we were able to sing in one voice, united songs of peace, hope, compassion, and community? What would happen if we threw out our preconceived notions about other people groups, nationalities, or races? What would it look like if we embraced our own neighbors who don't look like us, those living on our own street? In America, we've set up walls and barriers and garage doors that close and comfortable living spaces for ourselves. We've done this all so that we can spend our time at home in peace. But what if true life, life as it was meant to be lived, involves becoming more and more open in an embrace of the messiness of community? It's here that we return to the idea of living a meaningful story with your life. There's no meaning found in binging on Netflix or scrolling endlessly through Instagram photos, yet we continue to do it, addicted to social media that never results in producing the kind of community that we're looking for. We invest cash in fancy cars and large homes, failing to feel fulfilled because, let's face it, buying stuff just isn't interesting. It's not that buying a flat screen TV is wrong per se, it's just that it's the stuff of boring stories. No one ever made a movie about a guy who bought a flat screen. When we break free of these kinds of vices, life emerges. When we see and embrace the potential of community all around us, the best kinds of stories begin to take shape. A woman named Ruth reaches out to some friends about donating baseball equipment, and she ends up being directly linked to an eternal salvation. Two high schoolers leave behind their chance at the playoffs to accept a more meaningful calling in a foreign land a doctor who decides to take on the burden of pastoring a church. I'm recording on the front steps of the Guanabacoa Methodist Church near Havana, Cuba. These steps move you directly into the street where night and day alike you'll see members of the community hustling to the market or driving their 1950s Chevy back home, narrowly avoiding the stray dogs that roam the street as they zoom by. But look closer and you'll see homes filled to the overflow with supernatural love. You'll smell the guava juice and crackers that are shared amongst Christian brothers and sisters. You'll hear the laughter and the songs and the prayers. Close your eyes and just listen. And if I've done my job right, you'll hear love calling your name. Do It For The Story is a production of FMC Radio. The music for today's episode comes from Switchfoot and Kia Engel. Today's episode is dedicated to the men, women, and children of Cuba. Dios te bendiga.